Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sunday's You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. You want to get physical? Let's put a warning out to all men. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> this week's podcast is all about exercise. I've turned into Joe Wicks. <gasps> Great. So you're going to come training with me for the marathon? No. Right. Okay. It's worth a try. I've been watching the new Apple TV series, Physical, starring Rose Byrne. I love Rose Byrne. She's the amazing comic actress who was in Bridesmaids. She was the beautiful friend. Um, she was also in one of my all-time favourite films, which is Juliet Naked, where she gets to snog Ethan Hawke. You do a lot of this vicarious snogging and... Especially and... of Ethan Hawke. <laughs> James um, I absolutely love Roseburn. I didn't particularly like the series, but what I found fascinating is it's set in the 80s and she becomes an aerobics instructor. And I remember what fascinates me is the leotards. Pineapple. Pineapple I remember studios. wearing those very high-cut leotards, which are supposed to make your legs look longer. And I used to bulk buy Lycra from the pineapple shop in Covent Garden after my class. And I remember once they snipped up my credit card in front of me in the pineapple dance shop because I was buying too much lycra. How much lycra do you need? And while I, I, it was the accessories, it was the headband. You didn't have the headband. The toweling headband, leg warmers. Oh dear. Tights. And I had arm warmers as well. You didn't? I had arm warmers. Oh my God. I used to go running with weights around my ankles and weights around my arms. The moment I moved to London, so I moved to London in 1977 to study journalism, and we, I shared a flat with lots of actors, and we had a party. Rupert Everett came to my party, and also this very, very beautiful young American actress called Pamela Dillman. Her father was Brad Dillman, he was in lots of disaster movies in the 70s. Oh, my mum would know him then. She loves the disaster. And she was very beautiful. And I just looked at her. She was going out with my friend Bob. And I just thought, my God, you're beautiful. And so she said to me, this is the first time I ever heard this word. Bear in mind it was 1977. So I was a, a leader of a trend. She said to me, Liz, I think you should go to Pilates. And I thought, what's Pilates? And she said, there's this amazing teacher at the dance centre in Euston who does Pilates and he'll sculpt your body and make your muscles longer. Oh. So from 1977, I started going to Pilates classes. I then graduated to Pineapple where I did tap, ballet, body conditioning, modern dance. I used to hire my own studio to exercise in front of a long mirror. 
This That's is before why... I got contact lenses, so I thought I looked okay. <laughs> in all your lycra. I lived in the Barbican, which is about three miles away from Covent Garden. I used to run from my flat to the dance class, do three-hour classes and then run back to my flat that's how much exercise I do I was completely obsessed but I'm kind of thinking now looking back on it why I was so obsessed I was so obsessed with exercise I wanted to be like this girl Pamela Gilman it just took over my entire life the amount I exercised and I didn't eat anything And I wanted to have the perfect body, but I never felt I got the perfect body, even though I was doing all of these classes. My legs were... I have the body of a dashant. I've got a very long back and very short legs. I was never able to turn myself into the shape I wanted to be. But I look at you and you're you remember that film Perfect? Do you remember that film Perfect? Yeah. With um, the girl who was the daughter of Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, yeah. She was Tony Curtis's daughter. She was the leg warmer queen. I wanted her body. Watching physical with the bubble palms and the high cut leotards, it just took me back to a time when I did all these exercise classes. And, you know, they cost quite a lot of money and it just took up all of my weekends. And I remember going to a class in Chelsea. There was another studio in Chelsea I used to go to. And I overheard this woman say, oh, well, I haven't been exercising for six weeks because I went on holiday. And, and I thought, my God, how could you miss a class? And I remember I went on holiday to Portugal in 1983 with three other girlfriends and they were just lying in the sun and drinking and everything. I would do sit-ups next to my bed on holiday yeah because I still had to exercise on holiday and I remember I went to a wedding in Scotland I think I missed the ceremony because I was running around the links in Edinburgh all anyone remembers of me is that I was always running when I'd go home for Christmas my mum would be cooking Christmas dinner and I'd be out running I'd miss Christmas dinner because I was out running I was completely obsessed It is addictive, isn't it? It's quite hard to get that balance because you either go into it and you're fully into it or or you sort of sod it and you don't do it and it becomes, either way, it becomes quite a strong habit. So the archive this week is a little bit different. This is from my book, which came out a few years ago. It's called Girl Leagues Likely To. And this chapter, chapter six, is called... Pluck, Jog, X Tan. Now, I wanted to call the book Pluck, Jog, X Tan, so I thought that was quite a good title, but the, my Snappy. book editor said it sounds Japanese and people won't understand it. And I think they would understand it. Pluck, <laughs> I was always using tweezers. Jog, I was always jogging. X, I was always exercising. Tan, because I was tanning the whole time because I wanted to be a different ethnicity. And the beginning of this chapter is a little diary entry, like... Bridget Jones's diary. Four Cox's apples or similar get Berwick Street Market. One loathly ro- yogurt, raspberry, hazelnut if feeling blind, faint or experiencing blackouts. Weight, seven stone, four pounds. Calories, 542. Ouch. It's like a very unfunny page from a Bridget Jones novel. Yeah. I ate apples throughout the day to stave off hunger. They stripped the enamel from my teeth, 
which meant years later I'd have to invest in expensive veneers. I would buy yoghurt from Cranks. Cranks was opposite my offices on Company Magazine in Soho. Love Cranks. If I was feeling faint, the world would go dark and I would barely be able to stand. If I chose hazelnut, this was because it had 35 more calories and I figured it would save me. Each day, I would pluck hairs from my chin, upper lip, breast, bikini area, knees and stomach. There was a clinic in Knightsbridge called the Teo Clinic and I would jog there. And it was like um, a field hospital during the First World War. There were lots of screens and green and beds, little metal beds that you'd go and lie on. It was a, but it was like a war, but it was a war against unwanted hair. doesn't sound very attractive. I typed the word tan at the beginning of this chapter because I think I was one of the first fake tanners. I was very ahead of my time, Nicola. I was a hyper-grooming pioneer. I tanned myself every week because I wanted the olive skin of supermodel Janice Dickinson. An early product, which is before self-tans were invented, was Guerlain's Tant Duray. This was like a mahogany liquid that you used cotton wool and you wiped it over your skin, but it did wash off at the end of the day. Did you not end up with all these awful streaks and orange palms? No, because I was very good at oh, it. Okay. It smelled of rose petals. If ever I smell roses, I'm reminded of Guerlain's Tant Duray. My sheets were permanently stained, like an ungodly Turin shroud. I would do anything to change my identity. And in my aerobics classes at Pineapple, I even changed my name. I became Libby because I was tired of Liz or Lizzie. I didn't really even want to have my own name. That's how much I hated myself. Sort of wanted to be a different person, essentially. Yeah. Ten years of eating about Three, four, five hundred calories a day took its toll. Whenever I walked outside, I couldn't feel the pavement under my feet. It was like I was floating. I was always cold, dressed in layers so no one would notice. All the other dancers in my class were just like this. They were wrapped in layers. The skin on my face was oozing because I had such terrible acne. I remember lying prone on the plie machine in my Pilates class. Do you know, there were cockroaches in the changing room. Oh, That's how awful it was. Poor cockroaches, what did they eat? And when I went to the pineapple in Covent Garden, they still f- sold fruit and veg. It wasn't Covent Garden as you know it now. Proper Covent Garden. Proper Covent Garden. But I had this lovely instructor called Gordon, and he moved over to supervise the exact turnout of my feet. He looked at my face and said, hand clasped over his mouth, Oh, my God. My face was weeping. So I was doing all these classes to look amazing, but I was so devoid of calories and nutrients. I was, my body was starting to disintegrate and it was starting to eat its own organs. Asleep one night in my narrow single bed, I could not control my thoughts. It was as though my brain was a scattergun. I couldn't form a sentence or remember anyone's name. I was terrified. I couldn't move or open my eyes for fear of what I might see. That moment, and it was also another moment made me go to my doctor, was I was in a ballet class at Pineapple and I was wearing these pink tights 
I never normally looked up at the mirror and I was quite near the front so I could actually see because I didn't have very good eyesight because I was turning myself blind. And the shock of seeing how thin my legs were meant the next day I booked an appointment at my, of my GP. So I remember going on to see my GP. But that was kind of seeing myself in the mirror in these pink tights, which sort of looked like you're naked. Yeah. It was like I was a corpse and I'd been dug up from a bog. All my bones jutted obscenely. Great big knees. You know, I'm always saying to you, I've got fat legs and yeah, fat knees. Yeah, and you haven't. I haven't really got fat <laughs> knees. It's just the rest of my legs so thin. My That's knees look right. enormous. They all look all knobbly. But it was kind of the wrong decision to do, really, going to the GP, because in those days, they didn't understand eating disorders. They didn't give you therapy. They didn't give you talking help. They didn't counsel you. You were just entered the doors of the NHS, never to emerge again as a whole person, and I didn't. I was sent along to the endocrine clinic of St. Bart's Hospital, and... The thing about anorexics is they're very, very clever yeah. and you can fool anyone. You know, I was so fit, I felt I could jog to the moon and back. Yeah. Nothing was impossible. I could do anything. And I could outwit the consultant at St. Bart's Hospital. Mm-hmm. And I did for many months. I used to line my coat with bottles of water. Yeah. So I weighed more. Yeah. And the nurse... They were so uninterested in me. They didn't even notice I made this sort of swishing sound like the ocean. They didn't notice. They didn't pat me down. They didn't say, please take your coat off. Please take your shoes off. Which is insane, isn't it? Because you would expect them to weigh someone in their underwear, you know, so that they knew that... I was actually weighed in the waiting area. They never took you to to a separate room. I was weighed in front of everyone else. Which is an anorexic's worst nightmare. You're so conscious of what the scales will say. And two days, I had to go there every week as an outpatient before they finally admitted me. But before the appointment, two days, I would eat peanut butter sandwiches. And I'd eat homity pies from Cranks, which is a pie filled with potato and cream and garlic. Amazing. So I learned to cheat the system in a way. And it took a long time for them to discover that actually what I really weighed. Finally, they discovered that I was sewing water into the lining of my coat. And there was a professor who sat me down. And all he said was, he didn't ask me what was wrong or why this was happening or that I needed therapy. He just said I was to eat three meals a day, have sweets in between. I had to eat meat and I was to be weighed every week. And if I did not improve, I would be force fed high calorie slush. My parents would be informed and I would jolly well do as I was told. I was prescribed steroids, which I took as I didn't think they contained any calories. That turned out to be the biggest mistake I would ever make because the steroids changed my body, you see. Um, They caused my breasts to grow. I hated myself even more. At the age of 29, I had plastic surgery. And I'm kind of hoping the National Health Service is different now to it was in 1977. It is. I mean, my experience when I when I saw a doctor with anorexia was completely different. It was it was very nurturing. What years was that? Um, About ten years later, fifteen years. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah, it was. It was completely different. Um, I was offered um, cognitive behavioural therapy. My doctor was very kind. He was very very understanding. 
and there was no sort of like go away and eat sweets. There was there was a complete understanding that I was not going to do but that. But telling me I had to eat three meals a day and and as an as an anorexic, you would just look at them and think, no, you're mad, <laughs> no, you're insane. I'm it. never going to do that in a million no. years. No. I was supposed to stop exercising. I mean, I was very lucky because my mum was my mum frog marched me to the GP because I was quite young. And she superintended me. I mean, she even came to the toilet with me after I was eating. So I was very lucky. I had a lot of support at home, which you didn't have, did you? So that makes a massive difference. Hated her at the time for it. But in this chapter, I also... You can see how early the eating thing and the image thing took hold. Yeah. Because I wrote that as a child of nine or ten, I watched a programme on TV hosted by Richard Hittleman. You won't remember this. It was called Yoga for Health, and it featured two beautiful women in leotards. See, I'm obsessed with leotards, with matching tights and long, straight hair and long, straight limbs. One was called Lynn. I loved Lynn. I would contort myself as a child in private, in front of the telly, doing yoga, because I wanted to be like Lynn. But, of course, my parents, you know, they had seven children. My mum was always turning the mangle and cooking food and, you know, she didn't have a washing machine, she didn't have a microwave, she didn't have a dishwasher. They didn't really notice I was doing yoga age 10, 11 in and front also, of the telly. at that time, your mum probably wouldn't have been aware to think no. about eating disorders. I didn't know anorexia no. existed. No. Even when I went to St Bart's in the late 70s, I'd never heard that word. No. No. I didn't know anyone else did it. I thought it was just me. Yeah. And I still have the same habits. So I would always eat half a banana and never the whole one. So if ever you come into my house, you'll always see there's a half a banana in a mug because I've never yeah. eaten the whole one. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it wasn't helped, I think, my sort of crisis wasn't helped by the fact I'd finished the journalism course and I was unemployed, I couldn't get a job. And when I was finally admitted into hospital, I sort of felt safe. I had my little world, because I found the world very scary, you see. I found everything scary. And I had a little side cabinet, and it was all neat and flawless. And I had this tiny little world that I lived in. And I had a view of the square outside St. Bart's Hospital. And at that point, and I think it still is, it was a meat market. And early oh. in the morning, I could see all these men calling and shouting at each other and carrying these great halves oh, of cows yuck. and everything. I could smell the blood on their white coats. They were like giant, slow-moving sanitary pads. But I no longer had to go outside. Something I found scary. I became increasingly agoraphobic. I no longer had to get dressed or put on makeup. I no longer used Guerlain Tant Duray and smelled like rose petals. I didn't have to talk to anyone. I let the whiskers grow long. You're going more Linda McCartney. My feet became soft from not walking. I didn't want to leave my cell. I had complete control of it. And I even looked down upon the nurses, who always seemed to be chomping on something, making endless cups of tea, stirring. How work shy. Do you see how anorexics look down on everyone else? Well, you're still the same, aren't you? You're, you're still the same. I mean, <laughs> if I some said to Liz, about, oh, well, why do they have to keep going to petrol stations on the journey and eating? People are always eating. You've still got that mentality of yeah. people are always eating. Yeah. Why are you eating? I don't see why people have hot drinks in the afternoon. No, it's apparently a sign of laziness. 
so sorry to interrupt, Liz, but we have a very important announcement that might just interest your listeners. There's another Mail on Sunday podcast and it could change your life. It's called Medical Minefield. Yes, where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. And that's with me, Barney Kalman, the Mail on Sunday's health editor. And me, Eve Simmons, the deputy health editor. Find us at mailplus.co.uk. So that book and that period of my life, it should have been the best period of my life. Yeah. I was... In my late teens, early 20s, I was living in London. I was going to the Blitz nightclub in Holborn on David Bowie night. I was young. I had my whole life ahead of me. And I just wanted to be dead. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? I mean, you're young, you're beautiful. You've got the start of your life, the start of your career, and and yet you're punishing yourself day after day after day. It's it's awful. But no one told me I was any good. And even, you know, doing the journalism course, no one expected me to succeed. But I was quite ahead of my time. And the very first piece I wrote as a student, I went to Windsor Great Park And I challenged Prince Charles and I held on to his polo pony and I challenged him about how awful polo was for horses. It gave them arthritis and did he retire them? So I was quite ahead of my time. But no one thought I was talented. No No one thought I was going to succeed because I would turn up and I wouldn't talk to anyone and I was very weak and I couldn't stand and I was very frightened and all I wanted was to work on Vogue. And I went for an interview on Vogue and they just looked down their noses at me and told me to enter the talent competition. And I said, well, I wish you told me that before I went and studied journalism for three years. How dismissive as well. How bloody rude. They were really rude to me. Really rude to me, considering how in love with Vogue I was. And look at her now, Vogue. She hasn't done bad, has she? Stick that in your pipe. I've got four pounds in my current account. Yeah, but you've got a podcast for me. All right, then, Nick, what have you been up to this week, then? Uh, well, I'm going I, this week, I'm going to take you back to my archive, OK? Do you have one? I have an archive. I've got an archive. It's just not in print. Or do you just mean your memories? Well, it's the same thing, in it? No, my, it's not. Well, it's archived in my head. Right, taking you back, picture this. I'm sat in front of my mum's record player, rocking, crying. Who'd you broken up with? This was Nick. Right. Our breakup songs are by Prince. Mine was Adore when I broke up with Trevor yeah. of the very high-waisted trousers. Yeah. Adore by Prince. And yours is Nothing Compares to You by Prince. Some by Sinead Some O'Connor. Some by Sinead O'Connor. And I, I tortured my poor mother because I had this, you know, like the record players, the old ones that used to just, you put on repeat and the arm would just go across and arm would just go across. Just listening to that takes me back to when I was 22 and the the total angst and heartbreak I felt. I rocked backwards and forwards. My life was over. The love of my life had gone. I was I was going to die. I doubt, die. That, I doubt that you cried as photogenically as Sinead O'Connor in that video. No, no. Well, she was just beautiful, beautiful. and iconic. I, on the other hand, was puffy, was snot running down my nose, wailing. I don't cry prettily. I don't do anything prettily. I was actually wailing. And my poor mum, she was like, 
my mum tried to be sympathetic, but it's not really in her nature. It's like, come on, get on with it, you know, <laughs> crack on. She didn't like him anyway. He stamped on a pair of her Yves Saint Laurent sunglasses when we had a row, so she completely hated him anyway. And I didn't really know a lot about Sinead O'Connor. I only knew this song. I couldn't even tell you anything else she sung. All I knew was this was my heartbreak song. And she's got a book out called Rememberings, so I thought I'd listen to it. So she narrates it herself, and she's so different to what you'd expect, because in, in, when she's singing, she's got this quite pure, beautiful voice. And uh, When she's narrating, she's really sort of got a, quite a, a, a hard Irish accent, and she's quite ballsy and quite down-to-earth. So she sounds completely different to how you'd expect... She's just had an awful life. I mean, we moan about air lives and, you know, and everything is relative. Everybody's... I've made a career out of moaning about my life. Yeah, you, you've, done, you've done pretty well out of it. And, and I just enjoy moaning about my life. But she's, she was abused as a child. And so she's, she's had a really difficult time. And I really liked her book because she's just so... Says it is. She's very candid puts a lot of rumours aside. She's got a great antidote, which I won't spoil for anyone that wants to read the book. She's got a great antidote about Prince. I've read that antidote. Have you read that she antidote? She wasn't very complimentary about Prince. She wasn't. She she came at it from a different angle to you. I won't have a bad word said about Prince. No, she had quite a few bad words to say about him. And I felt really sorry for her because, like, I've lived it with you, where you've had people rip you off because you're well-known, and she's had the same experience. Did she have people take her money? She's had people take her money. How did that happen? Who took her money? Well, she was talking in this particular instance about a photograph she had on her iPad of a saucy pic she sent to her husband in, 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 in underwear. And her friend came into her house, went on her iPad, got that picture and was trying to sell it to the press. And give her a joke. She went in, she intercepted the reporter and sorted it out herself. No mucking about. She's not a mucking about bird. But who would do that? Who would go in onto your iPad and try and sell your pet? That's just so disgraceful and it's, it's really hurtful. So all the same experiences. I've had, I've had a boyfriend tease me about that. He had a picture of me on his phone and he said, oh, I wonder how much the son will pay for that. Yeah. Nice. So I said, don't joke about things like that. Well, it's, that's going to constantly, isn't it, make you worried that someone's going to do that to you. I actually had to go into his phone and delete it. Yeah, I bloody well would. I think people in general should just be bloody careful because whatever you send anyone might seem fun in the moment, but there's YouTube so did and she, Twitter. Even though she was number one for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, did she not make any money in her career? Well, she don't. She don't seem to have made that much money because she's doing jobs in between tours and things. Um, caring. I mean, she likes doing it, caring for people. But she just came across as a great mum and just someone that despite having the most... And it just shows you can have the most god-awful start in life, which she did. And she doesn't sound bitter. She doesn't sound like she's turned into a horrible person over it. She's very religious, so she's got her faith, which... I was going to say, why? how has she managed to not be bitter? Because I am very yeah. bitter. She's, she's very religious, and, and I admire that. I mean, I'm really I'm not... angry that after 40 years of hard work and never having a day off, I've got four pounds. No, she's very pragmatic over it, but she doesn't, have, she doesn't seem to have that anger. And I admire people that... Have, I mean, I'm not religious at all. I, I don't believe in God. But I really admire that if people can use that 
to get through their life and, and still retain, like, their purity. That's, like, amazing. What does she say about Prince, then? Because that's been published in an extract, so you're not oh, spoiling okay. anything. I, d- I didn't want to say... Okay, fair enough. Well, basically, she went to his house and he was really rude to her. He treated his... What she thought was his staff, he treated shockingly, really rude to them, and it turned out it was his brother. Um, yeah, and she felt really bullied and, and threatened by him and to the point she actually really had to get out of there. And I thought, in that video, nothing compares to you, she's so beautiful, she's so... And it just embodied everything that I was feeling at that time. And I thought, listening to it again, I thought, if I could just say one doesn't thing... doesn't she say in the memoir what causes the tear to roll down her cheek? She She says what that was based on. Oh, I don't remember that bit. I think it was her mum dying or something. Oh, yeah, terrible stuff about her mum. Terrible stuff. But I thought, if I could just say one thing to to young people, it's like, they're not worth it. Don't cry over men or if you're a bloke, women. Don't. In five years' time, you won't even remember what their surname is. You know, it's all a waste of time. Move on to the next one. They're like buses. Someone else will come along. You're not going to die. I think... Or... As we're very keen and anticipating Love Island starting <gasps> next week. We are. Someone new will enter the villa. You will. They're like buses. Just wave them on past and wait for the next one to come along. But you will not die. What about this week's column? Well, last week... Yes, last week... We had me waiting... In my thong and Victoria Beckham body constricting dress. Squash kidneys and all. For my date with Cambridge Man. Plucked, tanned and everything else. I jogged, plucked, tanned, exed, everything else, yeah. Dyed my body brown, stained loose seats, stained hotel sheets. But you didn't stain him. But I didn't stay him because he didn't turn up. What we'll talk ask. about the reaction to my column last week at the end of this because we had a huge response, didn't huge. we, from women. Huge. They uh, wanted to go to Cambridge and find him. Well, is 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 pretty much, if, if you put a sign, a picture up, and put it on a wanted, a Western poster of wanted, he's pretty much going to be lynched. Yeah. He is. They rallied round, your girls rallied round. And we ended last week's column with me sat there. I didn't want to let a Hollywood go to waste. I texted my ex-ex. No. There's a collective no screaming from every listener here. No. So this Sunday's column, you've got to hand it to me. Cambridge man stands me up despite the fact I spent over £500 on trains, a hotel and spa treatments. And I have a replacement date in less than 30 minutes. It's like getting a courtesy car or calling the AA. 30 minutes. You've got to hand it to me. That's pretty much, That's pretty good going. Now, in your case, it's like digging out the flipping old Ford Escort you've had in the garage for six weeks that wouldn't start. No. No, I think no. that's pretty impressive to get stood up and then you've got a replacement, you've got a courtesy car. I'm not condoning, I'm not condoning contacting exes. I'm not going there, not going there. When he turned up, his hair was still damp round the collar. I think he probably thought it was slightly suspicious I was all dressed up and only gave him 30 minutes and maybe he thought I'd been stood up with someone, but he didn't say. But the replacement date... We'll know now. Do you want to know the surprise? Go it on. didn't go well. Glory, glory, hallelujah! 
Yay! Great. That's a weight off my mind. When you hear what he had to say, please put it into context of the several preparation days I'd spent getting date ready. And the six Even if it was ready for a date with an entirely different person. (laughs) He said, I preferred you when your hair was in a bob. Slap. Thanks very much. Don't criticise me. Don't turn up and criticise me. Slap. Just say something nice. And is this from, like, someone that looks like Brad Pitt? Why make a negative comment? We're not married. I'm not the mother of his children. Just eat your ganoshki with spinach that I'm paying for him. Keep quiet. And your hair wasn't even meant for him. It was meant for another bloke. Did I make a comment about his appearance? No, I could have done. I, was I could say. have written a book about his appearance. I was going to say, didn't you just retaliate? I would have. But it made me have. think, why do men think it's okay to make a comment when you're no longer their girlfriend or anything to do with them? But when he said that, I started to picture my pristine hotel bed waiting for me a couple of flights up. Waiting for your tan stains. Halfway through the main course, I said I hoped he'd be able to get a cab home as the streets looked very busy because it was just (laughs) after lockdown. Dismissed. To hasten his exit, (laughs) I said I could order him an Uber. And you know what? The only thing that stopped me paying for his cab was that the card on my Uber app has, given it's been over 15 months since I've used an Uber, expired. It was out of date. That's the only thing that stopped me paying for him. So my Uber card had expired like my libido. Stop paying for men. I showed him a photo of Cambridge man on my phone and he said, do you know what he said? A bit too young for you. (gasps) Yeah, but in biological years, with all your rebuilding and that, you're much, much younger than you are. Yeah, I'm younger than he is. He made a half-hearted effort to pay for the meal by getting out his card and I said, no, don't worry, I'll sign for it, I'll put it on my hotel. I got in the lift. I got in the tiny lift up to my tiny room. I wondered if there was a third man I could call. The next morning, I went to view two flats because I have this insane addiction to property. Can I? Because I I feel if I could buy somewhere in London, I would go back fifteen years and resurrect my old life. Can I just interject here about your third man? Can we just book an escort, right? Just book an escort. It'll be cheaper. They'll turn up. It'll be cheaper. You'll know what you're paying out. You'll already have budgeted for it. They'll do the job and they'll bugger off and not worry, not worry you in your nice hotel room. So on Saturday just afternoon, I got the train back to York and I got a text from man number two, the courtesy car. Thanks for dinner. It was lovely to see you. And I realised as I sat in my... Seat that he hadn't said one meaningful thing all evening. There'd been lots of long pauses when I was itching to look at my phone to give me something to do. And it just shows you how boring most dates are. If I'd been on a date with a girlfriend like my friend Sue Needleman, we'd have been chat, 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 banter, banter, banter. We'd have been crying and wetting ourselves with laughter. But with men, it's all just so stilted and they never got anything to say. He had no antidotes. No antidotes. And this is another reason you don't go back. You've had all his antidotes if there ever was any. And then the next day I got a WhatsApp from Cambridge man who'd stood me up and cost me as much money as buying a yacht. Stick it up, your proverbial. Go away. So remember 
he stood me up without even a sorry or I've wasted your time. I'm really sorry about that. And do you know what he typed having stood me up? Go on, go on. I still have to read your column every Sunday. <gasps> yes, you read it and weep at what we think of read you. Read it and weep. Yes. Listen, listen and weep. Because Liz Jones gets her revenge. I get my revenge. You do. If you'd like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at lizjonesgoddess. So last week, after I was stood up, we asked you to tell us your stories of being dumped or being stood up while you'd bothered to put on a thong. So what did the readers say next? Well, we also asked them why they thought that he'd stood you up. So we had Well, I both. think people just told us that anyway. Well, yeah. So um, I'm going to go through in the order because I've got a list here. I ha- it was really hard to choose. We had such a huge response. And poor everyone. I mean, people have just gone through, like, people are just awful to each other. But we've got someone that says, think he's a keyboard dreamer who realised he was out of his depth or just a normal married, actions speak louder than words, lucky escape me thinks. Lots of people said lucky escape. Lots of people said lucky escape. We've also got Anne Ashley who says, love your column and podcast, kind of had a girl crush on Nick. Oh, you're my favourite, Anne. You're my favourite. Favourite. You made that up. No, I didn't. Look, there's her email address and everything. It's real. It's real. Right, anyway... I suspect the reason Cambridge man, stroke satnav man, stroke twat waffle man, she's making her own up now, solicited your attention in the first place was so you'd write about him. No more, no less. When he realised it was going to take more effort than he anticipated, he quit. No doubt like all the other endeavours in his life. She says she's had two traumatising events where she was stood up. One, she was at a wedding reception, not, not her wedding, and once on her 40th birthday where she'd turned down lots of other dates to have an intimate dinner with a man who then turned out to be a complete tit instead, her words. So she's not had a great time, but Anne's my favourite because I'm a girl crush. We've got Andrea who says, Hi Liz, I think you're going wrong with the men and the fact is you have a habit of taking your collies with you for lunch dates. Taking my collies? Taking your collies, you shouldn't take your collies. Put the shoe on the other foot and imagine the man bringing along a couple of toddlers. I've just started cringing now. By the way, I love animals, but they don't socialise with me. So her advice is leave the collies I had quite a few people saying, why do I always take my collies out for lunch? It's because I can't leave Gracie at home because she just destroys my house. She's a chewer. It's also a bit of an icebreaker when you're meeting someone you've never yeah, ever met Yeah, and it gives before. you something to sort of talk to when the man turns out to have no antidotes. You can talk to the collies. Yeah, and we've got Maxine. Poor Maxine. Um, she says, hi, Nick, after my first husband left me for a woman half his age, why do men do that, who actually turned out to be My husband nice. left me for someone younger, dimmer and slimmer. And then they get disappointed. And in this case, she ended up dumping him. So that's quite good. I joined a dating agency and she had pretty awful experiences. She said, I arranged to meet a man at a nearby pub and on paper he sounded really nice. He looked attractive and smiley. I didn't want to arrive first, never considered having to arrange my limbs and thong. I think you're the only one that does the arranging of the thong. No, I'm not. Yeah, well, I wouldn't risk it. Too unattractive. So she was sitting in my car with a car park, planning to check him out and follow him in a few minutes later. 
As I sat there with my window wound down, it was a hot summer evening, a car pulled up next to me, the driver next to mine was my date. He wound down his window, stuck out his head and announced, mm, you're not what I thought you would be, and drove off in his very average Vauxhall. Can you imagine that? How rude. Fancy How driving rude. a Vauxhall. You're not, you're not what I thought you'd be. I dare say he wasn't what she thought he'd be. She had a, another one that lasted three minutes. So actually, that was an improvement on Vauxhall, man. But she did eventually meet her husband. See, there's hope for you because a lot of the people that have written in have had all these disasters, but an awful lot of them have met Mr. Perfect and Maxine's Mr. Perfect, climbs ladders, what's on your list. Men's things, changes light bulbs, so someone can relieve me. Talks. You never do it. I do do it, but the screwdriver wouldn't work and, and as antidotes. So they do exist. So a lot of women are saying, keep up, they do exist, you will find him. I don't want a husband. And then Bob was saying, it was a very easy relationship to get into, just as easy to get out. The guy had no risk to take. It was a chance to meet a celeb. See, you're a celeb. I'm not a celeb. You are. You're in Celebrity Big Brother. That makes you a celeb. Have lunch, and if not really into it, just back out. A lot of effort went into one side. That'd be you. Little the other guy. So he has a tale to tell his friends how he could have gone further. So basically... He's, he's doing it so that he could have said to his friends that he could have had you if he wanted you. I think the reason he backed out was he did tell someone who he'd had lunch with and he was going to meet me for dinner and they said, don't go there because she will write that you can't ejaculate. I think it was performance anxiety. Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday, but for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.